chapter one of the private soldier under washington by charles knowles bolton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one the origin of the army when the colonists in america rose in rebellion against the english government in seventeen seventy five they occupied scarcely more territory than had been won from the wilderness a century earlier pioneers from the shores of the north sea had crossed the atlantic to make for themselves homes the more venturesome had forced their way to the headwaters of the coast rivers to build blockhouses for trade and defence little by little they and their descendants cut away the timber along the banks of many pleasant streams and planted grain and now at the southward their lands reached from the ocean to the appalachian range the watershed of the potomac the james the roanoke the santee the savannah and the altamaha river farther north they cleared and tilled the country which is drained by the susquehanna the hudson the connecticut the kennebec and the penobscot here was a theatre of war with great possibilities for the strategist who knew the topography thoroughly and could marshal the rivers and hills like forces in reserve to checkmate his antagonist throughout washington's campaigns near new york the hudson river on the east and the delaware on the west served to keep the british in check the manoeuvres of gates and green in the carolinas were everywhere influenced by the broad streams that crossed the country but rivers were dangerous allies and when made part of a great plan might by the fortunes of war prove ruinous to any army in the campaign of seventeen seventy seven burgoyne was to gain control of the hudson in order to separate the men of new england from their brothers in rebellion but he accepted a position within the bend of the river at saratoga and was compelled to surrender in the expedition of cornwallis in seventeen eighty one the converging streams of the york and the james which were to protect his army held him like a trap as soon as the french allies came into possession of the sea the political divisions show that england laid claim to the eastern part of america with the exception of florida massachusetts still included the territory between the western part of nova scotia now called new brunswick and new hampshire later known as maine and the land between the connecticut river and lake champlain afterward the state of vermont was at this time within the bounds of new york the rich country between the upper mississippi and its tributary the ohio had but recently been added to the government of quebec there were few english inhabitants in this region and the french stockades and trading villages such as detroit vincennes on the wabash and kaskaskia were important only as settlements along the water highway from canada and the great lakes to new orleans the southern english colonies already looked westward to the mississippi for their expansion beyond all this region lay the untouched forests which gathered rains for the far-reaching waters of the rio grande the colorado the arkansas and the missouri the possessions of spain the english colonies in seventeen seventy five had a population of two and a half million people less than a third the number then in great britain and ireland moreover above half a million of these people were negroes barred very generally from military service many others refused from their religious views to bear arms and a considerable minority of the citizens more than a third of the men of influence said adams opposed an appeal to force 
it was fortunate for america that the war began in new england which had few tories and slaves and was able by furnishing a large part of the patriot army to show a strong front to the enemy earlier in the century there had been little to draw together the various races then settled upon the continent isolated as they were by religious differences social distinctions and the imperfect means of travel but a steady policy of irrigation and repression on the part of the english government quickened the sympathies of the people and led to the perfection of intercommunication and to the dissemination of political ideas the arbitrary restriction of trade and abrogation of privileges by an unseen power three thousand miles away aroused the colonies to a sense of their common danger the presence of an english garrison at boston and the enforcement of acts designed by parliament to crush out the revolutionary spirit in massachusetts made the colony a centre of the coming storm the members of a convention of delegates from the towns and districts in suffolk county meeting in september seventeen seventy four declared in language vigorous if a little florid that to arrest the hand about to ransack their pockets to disarm the parricide who stood with a dagger at their bosoms and to resist the usurpation of unconstitutional power would roll their reputation upon a torrent of panegyric to the abyss of eternity with their future fame secured they set about frankly to prepare for the conflict calling upon the people to elect their militia officers and acquaint themselves with the art of war that king george might not make an easy prey of a numerous brave and hardy people the action taken by several of the towns about boston was if possible more marked brookline for example appointed a committee in september to examine into the state of the town as to its military preparation for war in case of a sudden attack from our enemies on october twenty sixth seventeen seventy four the provincial congress sitting at cambridge chose a committee of safety with power to collect military stores and if necessary to summon and support the militia with the delegation of this authority to a specific body of leaders the opposition to great britain ceased to be wholly legislative for the committee had the necessary power to maintain armed rebellion the military measures of this period proposed in convention and carried by vote in time of peace and within three or four miles of the british garrison were a test of new england courage and determination that deserve recognition at the same time a plan of organization for the militia was outlined field officers were ordered to enlist if possible a quarter of the total number of militiamen for emergency service under the direction of the committee of safety these companies were to consist of at least fifty minute-men each and were to elect their own company officers twenty years earlier alarmist companies had been organized to repel the indians they may be considered as survivals of the regiments that were in king philip's time ordered to be ready to march at a moment's warning and these in turn can be traced to the companies of thirty men from each hundred of the militia which in sixteen forty five were to be prepared at half an hour's warning thus had the training in arms and in preparation against surprise and attack been handed down from the days of miles standish and simon willard 
the committee on the state of the province drew up december tenth seventeen seventy four an address to the people which urged the towns and districts to pay their local militia for their services in order to encourage them to obtain the skill of complete soldiers these preparations were well known in boston and lord percy who was for a time in command of the british troops there referred often to them in letters to his father as early as september twelfth he said that the rebels did not make a despicable appearance as soldiers he knew that training day had ceased to be a perfunctory ceremony the provincial congress resolved on april eighth seventeen seventy five that an army should be raised and established and other new england colonies should be asked to furnish their quotas of men for the general defence the records of the committees of safety and supplies show that various stores were being collected at this time such as spades pickaxes and billhooks iron pots and wooden mess bowls carpenters tools cartridge paper powder and fuses grape and round shot bombs mortars musket balls and flints molasses salt fish raisins oatmeal and flour from the eighth of march to the fourteenth of april seventeen seventy five sundry persons under the direction of john goddard were carting through the quiet country roads that lead to concord casks of balls barrels of linen hogheads of flints loads of beef and rice quantities of canteens and other articles to seize these stores so specifically enumerated in the old thong-bound account book of wagon-master goddard lieutenant colonel francis smith with the flank companies of the tenth regiment of foot and of several other corps embarked from boston common at about half-past ten o'clock tuesday night the eighteenth of april crossed the charles river and began the march which was to bring on the american revolution he met and dispersed the forewarned minutemen on lexington green at five o'clock of the morning of the nineteenth of april he marched on to concord destroyed the stores and commenced the return at half-past two his men thoroughly exhausted from their rapid march back toward lexington lay down within the hollow square formed by reinforcements which lord percy had led out from boston the retreat of the regulars along the country road has often been pictured in words the redcoats were harassed by the farmers who to use percy's own phrase surrounded and followed them like a moving circle firing from trees and stone walls a british soldier apparently in chatham's division of marines had his hat shot off his head three times lost his bayonet by a ball and had two holes in his coat as he pushed on to charleston colonel smith's men from the tenth regiment wore at this period three-cornered cocked hats bound with white lace scarlet coats faced and turned up with bright yellow and ornamented with white lace scarlet waistcoats and breeches white linen gaiters reaching above the knee white cravats and buff belts they were brave men of many battlefields and their discomfiture was a sight to stir the blood of every man in homespun who reached the scene each town has its story of that muster morning of the minute-man who left his plough in the furrow the bucket at the well sweep or the fodder at the door of the cattle-shed in some towns not above half a dozen able-bodied men remained at home through the nineteenth of april and the killed wounded or missing were credited to twenty-three different towns and villages 
the british reached bunker hill across the narrow neck which joins charleston to the mainland as the dusk began to make visible the flash of the muskets their pursuers halted while the militia officers held a consultation at the foot of prospect hill a guard was formed sentinels were posted as far as the approach to the neck and patrols were sent out to watch the enemy the militia then withdrew to cambridge another guard went to the brooklyn and roxbury shores south of boston to cover that territory until morning on the twentieth cambridge was searched for beef pork and cooking utensils while roxbury furnished a good supply of shipbread for the hungry men before noon the committee of supplies in concord had sent word that they were using every effort to forward provisions thus were the first difficulties overcome and an armed force began the siege of boston the men who encamped about boston had fought with perseverance and resolution they were not raw recruits for many had contended in the wars with french and indians and their names may still be seen on the king's muster rolls they were not a rabble recruited from the low ranks from which a city mob is drawn college and professional men did their part the death of a justice of the peace who was a graduate of harvard and held his commission under the crown caused a heated discussion in the british press some said that he was a spectator for they could not believe that the movement was respectable in the character of its supporters general howe writing to lord dartmouth a few months later stated half the truth when he said that the continental army contained many european soldiers and most of the young men of spirit in the country who gave diligent attention to the military profession lord percy had held that the americans were a set of sly artful hypocritical rascals cruel and cowards but after the battle of lexington he declared that the rebels showed an enthusiasm and a courage to meet death that promised an insurrection not so despicable as was imagined in england percy was quick to see that the indian method of fighting from behind trees and stone walls was proof not of cowardice but of ability to profit by conditions and said he they know very well what they are about soon after the events of the nineteenth men in the companies encamped near boston were asked by the committee of safety to enlist for service until the end of the year or for a shorter period at the committee's discretion a vigorous circular letter dated april twentieth was sent to the neighboring towns urging the enlistment of an army to defend wives and children from the butchering hands of an inhuman soldiery and on the twenty first the committee decided to raise an army of eight thousand effective men out of the massachusetts forces in the meantime the provincial congress had been hastily summoned and had resolved april twenty three seventeen seventy five to raise thirteen thousand six hundred men proposals were also made to the congress of new hampshire and governments of rhode island and connecticut colonies for furnishing men in the same proportion as an army of thirty thousand was deemed necessary a month later twenty four thousand five hundred men had been collected in the several colonies so thoroughly had the work of organization gone on in the colonies during seventeen seventy three seventy four and the spring of seventeen seventy five that an appeal for men when the siege of boston began was immediately successful throughout the country a network of local committees controlling militia companies and post riders bound together the opposition to the king 
this network was like a fuse which ran over thousands of miles of wood meadow and farmland the people had been able to follow every movement of the hostile british parliament through the aid of the committees of correspondence and inquiry these committees formed in each colony at the suggestion of the virginia house of burgesses in march seventeen seventy three watched the approaching storm tested the loyalty of those who professed to welcome it and guided the popular indignation when the battle of lexington came the colonies were as well prepared for war as the poor dependencies of a powerful nation could be the first news of the battle was brought to the ears of putnam at pomfret the next day and to arnold at new haven a day later john stark in new hampshire heard it in good time at ten o'clock on wednesday morning the nineteenth palmer of the massachusetts committee of safety wrote a letter from watertown to alarm the country quite to connecticut entrusting it to a writer who was to ask for fresh horses as he went at fairfield connecticut this message was overtaken by one written at three o'clock thursday morning and attested by the committee of correspondence from town to town the news reached new york on sunday the twenty third at noon and confirmed the rumors that had already begun to circulate by four o'clock a messenger was on his way to philadelphia about two o'clock of the twenty fifth a second express from new england reached new york his papers having been attested at new haven fairfield norwalk stamford and greenwich the same evening a copy reached elizabethtown at ten it was at woodbridge and signed at midnight it had reached new brunswick across the raritan and halfway through new jersey three hours and a half brought the good horse and its rider to princeton at half-past six they were in trenton and by seven the attested papers were on their way to philadelphia the committee of the city sent the news at midday to chester at nine the men drew up at newcastle having followed the delaware through the gathering darkness he reached christine bridge at midnight with orders to forward the papers day and night at half-past four in the gray of the morning of april twenty seventh he was at the head of elk in maryland and after travelling seventeen hours touching charlestown on the way he reached baltimore at ten that night a hard ride along the tortuous shore of chesapeake bay through the entire night brought the news to annapolis where carroll of carrolltown tagman and other patriots attested the papers and spread the tidings still on through alexandria and dumfries a long sunday journey brought the papers to fredericksburg where the committee signed at half-past four carter bragston met the messenger at king william on may first nearly a fortnight after the battle to the southward went the news through surrey county williamsburg smithfield may third nasmond Cowan in north carolina edenton beaufort county bath newburn may sixth to onslow county where the committee received it at ten o'clock sunday morning of the seventh at wilmington on cape fear river harnett of the committee wrote for god's sake send the man on without the least delay and so the news was borne to the committee of little river and georgetown and on to charleston in south carolina what a ride and for what a cause through rain and sun and starlight this firebrand of rebellion was carried this was a ride that made the colonies into a nation and the nameless messengers and their horses deserve a page in history 
the continental congress resolved on june fourteenth that six companies of expert riflemen be immediately raised in pennsylvania two in maryland and two in virginia to reinforce the army near boston each company was to consist of a captain three lieutenants four sergeants four corporals a drummer or trumpeter and sixty-eight privates the besieging army was temporarily under the command of general artemus ward who received his commission from massachusetts as commander-in-chief on may twentieth four days earlier however the provincial congress had sent dr church to philadelphia to offer the direction of the army to the continental congress on june fifteenth george washington was appointed to command all the continental forces on july fourth seventeen seventy five it was announced in general orders that the troops of the united provinces of north america were taken over by congress the army then numbered not more than fourteen thousand five hundred men including perhaps the newly organized train of artillery which had been authorized in april by the province there existed also a coast guard which had been raised to defend the seaboard towns upon which the british made depredations in their excursions after food the army had scarcely settled down to besiege boston before the presence of slaves and free negroes gave rise to the question of their status in the army they had not apparently been included in the companies of militiamen and minutemen which were organized and drilled in the winter of seventeen seventy four seventy five but the moment a call for men went out the black men presented themselves for service in may the committee of safety faced the matter frankly in a resolve which is ethically curious for its differentiation of principles when applied to freemen and to slaves this resolve read that it is the opinion of this committee as the contest now between great britain and the colonies respects the liberty and privileges of the latter which the colonies are determined to maintain that the admission of any persons as soldiers into the army now raising but only such as are freemen will be inconsistent with the principles that are to be supported and reflect dishonor on this colony and that no slaves be admitted into this army under any consideration whatever the provincial congress considered the matter and laid it on the table free negroes continued to serve in the american camp and were conspicuous at the battle of bunker hill in june one man salem poor behaved like an experienced officer as well as an excellent soldier according to the testimony of colonel prescott they were obedient soldiers and useful laborers of a less mutinous spirit than some of their white brothers in july the provincial congress barred out all negroes but the question came to the front again in the autumn of seventeen seventy five when the enlistment of troops for seventeen seventy six was under discussion the council of general officers voted april twenty third to reject slaves and free negroes lord dunmore's proclamation in november seventeen seventy five freeing all indented servants and slaves who were able and willing to bear arms to induce them to join the british army probably forced a general order issued by washington december thirtieth allowing continental recruiting officers to enlist free negroes and promising to bring the whole matter to the attention of congress finally as a compromise congress permitted those who had served faithfully at cambridge to re-enlist 
blacks continued to serve in the army despite all legislative efforts to exclude them a return of negroes in washington's command august twenty fourth seventeen seventy eight shows that seven brigades then had an average of fifty four in each a hessian officer said in seventeen seventy seven one sees no regiment in which there are not negroes in abundance and among them are able-bodied sturdy fellows the employment of negroes met with approval in many of the colonies but not in the extreme south rhode island purchased the freedom of slaves before enrolling them as soldiers trusting to congress for financial aid and many men in colonel christopher green's regiment were obtained in this way the south true to its traditions refused the urgent appeals of colonel john lawrence in seventeen seventy nine and in seventeen eighty two for permission to enlist colored troops although congress had at last come to favor the scheme and it was backed by alexander hamilton and general green southern statesmen were by no means of one way of thinking on the slavery question and on the employment of negroes as soldiers the views which lawrence expressed to his father while highly creditable to a young man reared in south carolina were not such as would appeal to most slaveholders he wrote i would advance those who are unjustly deprived of the rights of mankind to a state which would be a proper gradation between abject slavery and perfect liberty and again i am tempted to believe that this trampled people have so much human left in them as to be capable of aspiring to the rights of men by noble exertions if some friend to mankind would point the road and give them a prospect of success habits of subordination patience under fatigues sufferings and privations of every kind are soldierly qualifications which these men possess in an eminent degree lawrence said with truth that five thousand black soldiers might change the course of the next campaign but it was the institution of slavery not the character of the slaves as washington himself intimated that placed obstacles in the way madison was disposed to favor the use of blacks in regiments with white officers and a fair proportion of white soldiers his correspondent joseph jones could see the blessings of emancipation but he wanted no hasty measures and nothing so uncertain in its results as the drafting in of slaves his statement of the case is strong and reasonable if they the enemy once see us disposed to arm the blacks for the field they will follow the example and not disdain to fight us in our own way and this would bring on the southern states inevitable ruin at least it would draw off immediately such a number of the best laborers for the culture of the earth as to ruin individuals distress the state and perhaps the continent when all that can be raised by their assistance is but barely sufficient to keep us jogging along with the great expense of the war the private who marched in his company to reinforce the army about boston felt somewhat as a voter did at a parish or a town meeting the company to which he belonged was his and the officers owed their authority in part to his favoring vote a private from new jersey has described the mode of procedure the men were sworn to be true and faithful soldiers in the continental army under the direction of the right honorable congress 
after this we chose our officers when on parade our first lieutenant came and told us he would be glad if we would excuse him from going which we refused but on consideration we concluded it was better to consent after which he said he would go but we said you shall not command us for he whose mind can change in an hour is not fit to command in the field where liberty is contended for in the evening we chose a private in his place could there be a more vivid picture of the private soldier at this period of the war there is the respect kept well in hand that is due the chief legislative body known as the right honourable congress there is also evidence of a matter-of-fact management of officers which must have been unknown to the benighted british soldier then comes that word of philosophy so characteristic of the age and of the undisciplined volunteer and finally in the election of a private as first lieutenant is shown that disregard of station which gives the picture its last touch on july nineteenth seventeen seventy five the army exceeded seventeen thousand men including gridley's regiment and crane's company of artillery in the latter part of seventeen seventy five washington had about nineteen thousand effective men near boston most of whom would return home when their terms of enlistment were expired in december or at the end of the year to pay off this army on the old establishment as it was called and to provide one month's pay in advance for the new establishment which was to be enlisted to carry on the siege required two hundred and seventy eight thousand two hundred and twenty eight pounds fifteen shillings or the sum of nine hundred and twenty seven thousand four hundred and twenty nine and one sixth dollars in the new army which was to have twenty thousand three hundred and seventy two men including officers the soldiers except drummers and fifers were to furnish good arms or when provided by congress to allow a deduction of six shillings from their pay a stoppage of ten shillings a month was to be made from each man's pay until his debt for clothing was cancelled although this was an unsatisfactory method at times and the payment of wages by the calendar month was even more disliked the soldier was told to be cheerful over the fact that he received higher pay than private soldiers ever had in any former war another blessing of war came when the colonies at the request of congress prohibited the arrest of continental soldiers for debts under thirty-five dollars or the attachment of their property for sums under one hundred and fifty dollars when the principles involved in the creation of a new army for the year seventeen seventy six came under consideration the duration of the contest was very uncertain congress recommended to massachusetts and connecticut a two-year or a one-year term it was found that men hesitated to pledge their services for the entire war and at that time the military profession was so little known and so untried by those who were fitted only for the ranks that they did not turn to it as readily as they did to farming john adams contended that a regiment might possibly be obtained in new england of the meanest idlest most intemperate and worthless but no more a regiment was no army to defend this country we must have tradesmen's sons and farmers sons or we should be without defence and such men certainly would not enlist during the war or for long periods as yet the service was too new they had not yet become attached to it by habit 
was it credible that men who could get at home better living more comfortable lodgings more than double the wages in safety not exposed to the sicknesses of the camp would bind themselves during the war i knew it to be impossible this is the view of a shrewd observer of new england character a politician who it may fairly be said knew those of whom he wrote on the other hand he does not seem to count the influence of patriotism and love of adventure these certainly would have moved some to forsake their comforts and good wages for the army even had the term of service been long with a small permanent force many troubles of the next few years might have been banished provided of course the force was large enough to carry on the war the size of the army that could have been raised will always remain debatable the advantage of long over short terms of enlistment has the weight of all authorities familiar with raising equipping and drilling recruits washington himself said on this subject the evils arising from short or even any limited enlistment of the troops are greater and more extensively hurtful than any person not an eye-witness to them can form any idea of it takes you two or three months to bring new men in any tolerable degree acquainted with their duty it takes a longer time to bring a people of the temper and genius of these into such a subordinate way of thinking as is necessary for a soldier before this is accomplished the time approaches for their dismissal and you are beginning to make interest with them for their continuance for another limited period in the doing of which you are obliged to relax in your discipline in order as it were to curry favour with them by which means the latter part of your time is employed in undoing what the first was accomplishing congress had better determined to give a bounty of twenty thirty or even forty dollars to every man who will enlist for the whole time joseph hawley of the provincial congress might be quoted in reply that no bounty would induce new england men to enlist for more than two years the popular feeling in the autumn of seventeen seventy six is well shown by the following extract from a letter of josiah bartlett a delegate in congress from rhode island i am fully sensible he writes of the great difficulties we labor under by the soldiers being enlisted for such short periods and that it should have been much better had they at first received a good bounty and been enlisted to serve during the war but you may recollect the many and to appearance almost insuperable difficulties that then lay in our way no money no magazines of provisions no military stores no government in short when i look back and consider our situation about fifteen months ago instead of wondering that we are in no better situation than at present i am surprised we are in so good the colonies particularly at the north where democracy was less tolerant of militarism dreaded a standing army which to most minds had some close but mysterious connection with enlisting for the war among northern officers this feeling crystallized into a leaning toward colony affiliation in preference to congressional control governor ward of rhode island who was no enemy to the continental system attributed the slow enlistment under the new establishment to dislike of plans brought forward through southern influence favorable to an army wholly continental or attached solely to the congress 
the difficulties which were encountered in raising equipping and supporting a regular army led to the frequent use of militia this in turn hindered the pursuit of agriculture and brought about a greater scarcity of food while the constant coming and going of men some of whom had been hired at exorbitant rates a hundred and fifty dollars in specie for five months of service increased the consumption of supplies without adding proportionately to the effective force men were to be seen in the country taverns and upon the roads some returning from service some away on furlough and too many away through desertion in a war of great success their presence in the country might have encouraged enlistments by awaking a warlike spirit in a war of delay and hardships they must have done little or nothing to offset the heavy cost of travel and rations while on their journey the amusing experience of a not over-scrupulous private while on his travels has been related by himself the twentieth february seventeen eighty i leaves mr loudon's at new windsor and crosses the north river and comes to fishkill and goes to a officer to get a order to draw provisions and he happened to be there that i drew provision on the day before he said did not you draw eight days yesterday i found i was catched i said yes but that was to carry me to boston he said how could i draw at litchfield and at hartford i said i did not want to draw it there to have to carry it the captains and lieutenants were kept busy training raw recruits this work was not left to sergeants and corporals as it seemed best to have a closer bond between the officers and their men baron steuben was an ardent advocate of personal contact of officer and private he had no patience with the british custom of giving over the awkward squads to sergeants he rose at three in the morning during the manoeuvres says his biographer north drank a cup of coffee and smoked a single pipe while his servant dressed his hair at sunrise he was on horseback a year or two later when his theories of training had come to have their influence he said do you see there sir your colonel instructing that recruit i thank god for that his own interest in the rank and file was very real one day during the roll-call steuben heard a private answer to the name arnold he summoned the man to his tent told him that so good a soldier should not bear a traitor's name and gave him permission to be known thereafter as steuben increase in the price of food and clothing which accompanies war tends to check the enlistment of married men and the rise in artisans wages still further operates in the same direction where men have families dependent upon them for support under these conditions the bounty or pay must be advanced as was ably set forth in the time of the civil war by governor oliver p morton of indiana in an address to congress in eighteen sixty two entitled increase of pay of private soldiers colonel courtland related to general gates a case that tells of the married man's trials the bearer hereof william foster a soldier in colonel onecup's regiment having lately buried his wife and has with him now at this place five small children and no way to provide provision for them unless he can be discharged to go to a small farm he has some distance from here and begs me to write in his favor to procure his discharge the privations of army life were trifling when compared with the worry that was caused by a knowledge of the privation at home the steady increase of taxes in seventeen seventy nine to eighty two and the departure of farm hands to the front 
drove women almost to desperation state and town officials endeavored to aid and support the wives and children of the soldiers and to check and punish those who forced up the necessities of life beyond the prices agreed upon by state or county conventions and accepted by the towns salt so necessary to every farm that had livestock rose from about thirty cents a bushel to almost as many dollars tea and molasses also advanced to a price that bore hard upon the poor women had the hard work of the farm with a suggestion or word of advice at long intervals from their absent husbands a private at the siege of boston wrote to his wife and children in seventeen seventy five i must be short get two or three bustles of salt as quick as you can for it will be dear and what cattle the barn will not winter i e hold through the winter the soller sol seller shall and give them as good a chance to thrive as you can and as for my coming home i cannot if you sent ten men in my room there was at the same time if dr benjamin rush is right in his assertion an increase in the birth-rate in america implying prosperity or at least easy circumstances among a considerable part of the population in the larger centres of trade the increased circulation of money the growth in importation of goods and in transportation of grain with an undoubted demand for labour all combine to give an appearance of good times to that class which has nothing to lose by war the men about the taverns the small shops and the wharves married and cared for their families dr rush declares that from the year seventeen seventy six to the close of the war beggars were rarely seen the burdens of the war were not wiped out but were placed upon the owners of the soil poverty was lifted from the town poor to fall upon the farmers as it became more and more difficult for farmers to support their families it is no surprise to find that after the first enthusiasm had died away the enlistment of men was slow and unpleasant an officer would go to the village tavern wax eloquent and pass around the toddy until some country lad was moved to sign his name to the papers but unless an officer was shrewd he came away with his money spent and no recruit at his back that his errand was sometimes a relief to a town may be inferred from a note in graydon's memoirs mr heath helped us to a recruit a fellow he said who would do to stop a bullet as well as a better man and as he was a truly worthless dog he held that the neighbourhood would be much indebted to us for taking him away another writer has pictured the motley throng of men and boys in all stages of intoxication that gathered about a recruiting officer in a seaport town when the band which he employed to gather a crowd had stopped playing he stood at the street corner beneath a flag and sang in a comical manner all you that have bad masters and cannot get your due come come my brave boys and join with our ship's crew this was followed by cheers and a commotion in which men were persuaded or driven to the wharves and aboard a privateer that was ready for a cruise many undesirable army recruits were sent to camp and upon one occasion general parsons forwarded seven useless fellows to hartford that the connecticut legislature might see what imposition was practised by some recruiting officers congress decided in january seventeen seventy six to disapprove the employment of prisoners and thus close to the enlistment officer a hopeful field for his efforts 
when voluntary enlistments fell off the authorities resorted to drafts these were not always successful especially in the disaffected districts where many officers and men so obtained proved to be tories at heart when the militia were well fed and clothed with good officers to make them contented numbers of the rank and file could be trusted at times to go home to gather recruits colonel thompson of south carolina on one occasion wished to send most of his men away on furlough so that they might return in time with lusty country lads at their heels no doubt there was an element less readily moved to enlist by patriotism than by material and tangible considerations however deep strong and broad the unseen current of loyalty might be a warm pleasant day in the autumn of seventeen seventy five and a cheering glass of grog helped the officers who were recruiting for the army of seventeen seventy six this the testimony of an officer at roxbury fairly represents the easy-going spirit which governed men of a certain class they were not the privates who studied by the campfire and kept diaries but many were none the less useful soldiers a battle sifts men by a process unknown to the days of peace bringing to the front unexpected heroes can you not see two of them now haynes at bemis heights astride the muzzle of a british brass twelve-pounder ramming his bayonet into the thigh of a savage foe recovering himself to parry the thrust of a second and quick as a tiger dashing the same bloody bayonet through his head recovering again only to fall from the cannon shot through the mouth and tongue lying two nights on the battlefield until thirst hunger and loss of blood overcame him then in the ranks of the dead made ready for burial and from all this recovering for three years more of service and a green old age or again that unknown daredevil whose swaying figure stood out upon the parapets of the entrenchments above yorktown brandishing his spade at every ball that burred about him finally going to his death damning his soul if he would dodge the common people said general green referring to new england are exceedingly avaricious the genius of the people is commercial from their long intercourse with trade this spirit prompted many from the towns to make the best bargain possible when they enlisted for the year seventeen seventy six while the farmers who usually saw very little money coveted the bounty that was offered washington had an independent income the poorer officers and the rank and file depended for their subsistence and the support of their families upon their meagre and uncertain pay this difference in condition did not impress washington with sufficient force in his first encounter with the army there was no doubt a dirty mercenary spirit which to some extent made possible stock jobbing and fertility in all low arts to obtain advantage of one kind and another but that it pervaded the whole one must doubt the diaries of officers and privates written with no thought of publication show a loyalty and in some instances a religious earnestness that must indicate widespread moral purpose the character and care of the private soldiers were subjects for debate in every town that labored diligently to keep its quota of men in the field as the farmers sat about the fire in the stuffy town threshing the matter out a weather-worn weary volunteer home from furlough often sat there too and heard what they thought of him 
sometimes he had an opportunity to know what the leaders thought elijah fisher has described his interview with the committee of inquiry in boston whither he went to get satisfaction having complained because they deducted from the amount still due him as wages on account of the depreciation in paper money the bounty which he had received the punctuation has been added but the story is his one of the committee starting up with his great wig said the soldiers had been used very well sometimes these things were not to be got and then we could not have them as soon as we should wish i was wrong in accusing and talking as you do then spake up another that sat a little distance and heard what was said a black-haired man in my behalf and said that soldiers had been used very ill as this man said and that they were cheated out of a good eel that they ought to have it was no light task to bring an army into the field and maintain it for years combating successfully the local prejudices of northerner and southerner the greed for bounties the trials that follow a depreciating currency and an advance in the price of family necessities the fear of militarism and the dislike of strict discipline in an age of democratic theories that the army about boston had the virtues that characterized many of the soldiers themselves no one will doubt that it fell short in certain particulars may be surmised from the exclamation of a southern rifleman in the camp at prospect hill in september seventeen seventy five such sermons such negroes such colonels such boys and such great great grandfathers chapter one